Jesus, Lord, we, we pray, I, I pray that everyone has heard this call on their lives to follow you. I pray, Lord, if uh, someone hasn't heard that call on their life to follow you, that today might be the day where you call them. And you promise that you will make, you will make us, you will make us to be, you're the one that changes us. And I, I thank you for that promise, Lord, that it's, it's not about making ourselves something and then we can follow you. You just say, no, come as you are and I will make you. I'm going to do the work in your heart and your life. Help us understand that today, Lord. Teach us that today. I pray that we would surrender more, Lord, that we would trust you more, that we would not seek to be kings of our own small kingdom and, and control our world around us, but to surrender to your kingdom, your sovereign kingship, lordship. Help us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear today, Lord. We worship you, we praise you, because you truly are the, the king of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to Redemption West Mesa. My name is Chris Amaro. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, you might notice I have a stool behind me. I might get on that stool in a little bit. I, I uh, tore a ligament in my ankle this week. And if you want to see a picture, you can go on Instagram and Facebook, and it's there. <laughs> but uh, it's doing pretty good. I, I'm hoping to get back to the basketball soon. But uh, I want to start out with an illustration. One way you can think about the Gospels is that the Gospels are, are four different documentaries. So each of the Gospel writers is, is writing a, a documentary based on the, the raw footage of Jesus' life, right? When you make a documentary, you, you shoot a lot of video and then you have to edit it down to tell a story. And so each one of these Gospels is, is telling the story, and, and, it's, and, it's, and each of the writers has a, an audience that they're trying to communicate to, right? So each of them includes, some of them include things that others don't include or, or come from a different angle, different perspective. And they all tell the same story. They all line up perfectly. But Mark tends to focus on, especially right here in the beginning, uh, on the kingdom of God. Right? He's announcing Jesus as king of a kingdom. And that's what we've, we've seen the first three weeks. And then what we're going to see is uh, he begins to show us the implications of, of the kingship of Jesus in our lives. Right? How the authority of Jesus Christ changes us. Right, The authority of the king. So if we do a quick recap, I want to do a quick recap of Mark. Mark 1.1. Or you can, you can open up and just follow along with me. We see the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? There's the beginning where he, Mark announces who Jesus is. Right? The, the Christ, Jesus Christ, the, that word is, is deity. Right? Here's King Jesus. And he says that this is the gospel of the king. And that word gospel is a powerful word because it meant good news. It means good news. The gospel is good news. But more specifically, in that day, the, the good news would have been always associated with the good news of a coming king. Right? So when Romans heard gospel or, or good news, they, they associated it with 
A king is coming to bring, to bring peace and salvation and a, and a new era, right? And, so that's, and, the, and the Romans would have associated it with Caesar, whom they believed to be God, who was going to come to save them and, and bring joy and happiness. Now, when the Jews heard that, they recognized that the good news, the gospel, to tie back to Old Testament promises, specifically in Isaiah, where, where the, the good news was of a king who would come in the future and redeem and restore all things, right? A, a king that would come and save his people. That was the, the good news that they were waiting for. They were living in anticipation for the king, the Messiah. And so that's what Mark's, Mark's doing. He's announcing the king that we're waiting for is here. And then when we see it, it, then we see John the Baptist, right? No king came without a forerunner. John the Baptist announces the arrival of a king, right? And he, he proclaims, this king who is coming is mightier than I. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals on his, on his feet, right? I'm not worthy to be a slave of him, right? That was the most menial task. Only slaves untie the sandals on people's feet in that time. So I'm not even worthy to be a slave of his. He's that great. And he says, I'm, baptize, I'm baptizing with water, but he's going to have a greater baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right? Again, John's focusing on Jesus as king. And then, and then in, in the baptism of Jesus, we see the inauguration of Jesus as king. Right? When Jesus comes up out of that water, we see the heavens open. After 400 years of silence from God, the heavens open. The Spirit descends onto Jesus, right? Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit, giving him power to fulfill his, his ministry, where he would trust in the Spirit, he would be led by the Spirit by the, and the Father and do the Father's will. And then Jesus is affirmed from the heavens. The, the Father speaks from the heavens and says, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. Right? Then we, what we see is Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit out into the desert where he's tempted for 40 days. And as soon as Jesus comes back in, in Mark 1.14, look at it with me. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, the gospel is affiliated with the coming of the king, the coming of his kingdom. And Jesus saying, the kingdom is at hand. It's near because it comes with the king who is himself, which he doesn't reveal until later in the book of Mark. But he's saying, Turn and believe. The king is here. How do you enter his kingdom? By repenting and believing in God. Turning from, from your sins and turning to God. And so some people might ask, well, what exactly is this kingdom? Some of you guys might be familiar with it. We did the kingdom series at the end of last year. But I want to I refresh us about what is the kingdom. Because this has implications as we go into the next uh, few weeks. But the, simp the kingdom of God is simply the universal reign of God. Right? It's the universal reign of God. It's that Jesus Christ is king. 
And it was a, a time that was promised when God would come and redeem and restore his creation. It's a time when, when God would come and, and reverse the effects of the fall, right, and bring peace and, and salvation, right? If you remember back to the beginning of the story of the Bible, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates it good, and he creates it perfect, and God reigns on earth, and he dwells with mankind. Well, it doesn't take long. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve rebelling against God, pridefully seeking to, to live life on their own and, and do things their own way. And that, and that rebellion brings, breaks the kingdom. It breaks God's rule, His kingdom on earth, and, and brings in sin and, and pain and death and all the evil around us. So if you ever wonder, like, why is the world like this? Well, it's because of the rebellion of mankind. And every single one of us since Adam and Eve have joined in that rebellion, seeking to be the king of our own small little world, to control what we can control. And so the, the kingdom of God would be a time when, when God would reverse the effects of the fall. And the, the most simple way to think about it is that God would make it the way it was supposed to be. God's going to restore. Make it like it was always intended to be. He's going to bring his kingdom back here on earth, and he's going to rule and reign and dwell with mankind. That's, that's the final kingdom consummated. That's what the kingdom of God is. And so you've got to remember that the Jews are eagerly anticipating. They're waiting for, for the king. They're waiting for this kingdom reality to come in the, into existence, into reality. And so they're watching Jesus closely to see if he's truly the king. And now a problem that the, the Jews had is they had a, a, a small idea of who the king was. They had a small kingdom mindset. If you see, they, had a, they didn't have the capital K, they had a lowercase k. Because they, they saw the kingdom as revolving around them. And where God would just come and restore Israel. Right? That's all they could see. They, they, they couldn't see the big picture. So, so what they were expecting is this, a, a warrior king, a king that would overthrow the Gentile oppression and restore them back into to power, right, by might. Now, Jesus does, in fact, accomplish his mission of establishing his kingdom. Jesus does. He does destroy Satan, sin, and death. But he doesn't do it by might, by power. With, he doesn't come with swords in his hands. He comes with nails in his hands, right? They, they had no concept of a, of a suffering Messiah, a suffering Savior, a suffering King. And so the Jews, they reject Jesus because he's not the Messiah that they wanted or, or were expecting. And, but nevertheless, Jesus dies on the cross, and three days later, he rises again, and, and, and his resurrection brings in the kingdom of God. It brings in his kingdom rule. He establishes his kingdom. But something surprising happens. Jesus doesn't bring in the final restoration of all things. He redeems, but he doesn't bring in the final restoration. Because, and I, and I thank God that he didn't bring the final restoration right there. Because the final restoration involves him judging the earth, right, separating 
sinners and those who have trusted him, a final destruction of all evil. And he doesn't do that because he's got people to save. He's a God who's, who's patient, and he's a God of, of love, and, and he's got a plan to save many more people, and, 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 and the Gentiles. He brings the Gentiles into his people, which is everyone else besides the Jews. He's got a great plan for the Gentiles. And uh, finally, after 40 days, 40 days, Jesus was here on earth after his resurrection. He spends those 40 days training up his apostles, right? He sends, spends that 40 days training his church for his mission, for his mission that he has for them here on earth. And then, and then when he ascends, before he ascends, he's, he sends his people, the church, to be led by the apostles, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations, to teach them to obey everything he has commanded. And that's what he does. And, and Jesus ushers in, and oh, he sends his church to, to not only proclaim the gospel by word, but to demonstrate the gospel through deed and how, they, how we would love one another. And, and, he, said, and he, he sends us on this mission until, his, until he returns, right? until his, his final return and he sends that promised Holy Spirit, right? He baptizes his church with the Holy Spirit to give us power, to give us everything we need to live a life uh, for his glory and for his mission. And so you got to understand that this is the time that we live in now. This is what's called the church age. We're living in this church age, and it's a, it's a between time, right? It's a between time. We can look back at the redemption of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. But we can also look forward and we have hope in this final restoration of all things when Jesus will finally return and he's going to make it and he'll bring in, fully bring in his kingdom. The Bible tells us that the, the heavens comes down to earth. Heaven's not a place we go after we die, but his kingdom comes down and he restores his creation. And he dwells with man on earth for all of eternity. And so that's what we get to look forward to. And that will be a day where there's no sin, evil, death, suffering. All that will be done away with. It will be a glorious day. And so we live in this time, this between time, the church age. Another way you could think about it, it's a, uh, the kingdom is the kingdom is an already but not yet kingdom. All right? So Jesus is already king. The kingdom is already established, but it's not yet fully consummated, right? Already, but not yet. So we're waiting for the, the final consummation of all things. We're waiting for that final rule of God to come in to earth. And so another way you can think about it is uh, maybe a lot of you guys have done your taxes. Uh, it's kind of early, so maybe not that many of you. But if you've done your taxes, let's say you get a tax return. Right, you, you go to H&R Block, they tell you, oh, you got $1,000 coming to you in your return, if you're lucky. All right. Once they tell you that, once your taxes are done, once you mail in that, those tax forms, you know you, you have that $1,000. It's as good as in your bank account. 
but you haven't fully re- you haven't received it yet, right? You're you're waiting for it in the mail. Or you're waiting for that electronic deposit. So that's the way you kind of can kind of think of the already, right? It's, you already have that promise of that a thousand, but you have not yet received it, and that's how God's kingdom is. And so you must remember that as we live between the 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 redemption and final restoration that we're in the church age and the church has a mission has a mission to to spread the good news of the king until he returns and that's what mark's goal is right to declare the that jesus is king and and to display his authority and to begin to live under that authority of jesus as king so let's let's look at the scripture. Open up to Mark 116. Let's see what is what do we learn about the kingdom from these four verses. In in 16 through 18, we see Jesus. So we picture Jesus, he's along the Sea of Galilee. I imagine him going around. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's calling people to repent. The kingdom is at hand. And suddenly. It's the middle of the day. I, I picture, uh, uh, this is, he calls him uh, Simon and Andrew. That's Peter. Jesus changes his name to Peter later. But si- Peter and Andrew are out there working hard in the sun. They're fishermen. They're casting their nets out. Right? They're, they're making a living. They're, they're in the middle of, of their work day. Maybe they're sweating. Maybe they have their shirts off. I don't know, but... but uh, they're, they're, they're caught up, and, and suddenly Jesus interrupts them, right? Right in the middle of their workday. And he says this amazing lie. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what it says here is what we see is immediately they left their nets and followed him. 18, immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Now imagine what the average fisherman might say, you know, uh, I would imagine, hey, well, okay, cool, I'll, I'll follow you, but let me pack up my stuff and, and wait till the end of the day. I got to get my get, collect my paycheck or my wages, or you know, we we tend to want to make a bunch of excuses, but you see these guys immediately. It doesn't say they packed up anything, right? They left their nets. They followed Jesus. This is an incredible act, and we tend to want to uh, maybe exalt Simon. And Andrew, or Peter and Andrew here, but uh, I don't think Peter and, the, and Andrew are the ones who should be exalted here. I think Jesus should be exalted because the, the call of God is powerful. And when you hear the call of God, you come immediately. If you really hear the call of God, that's how you come, because he is king, right? So Jesus This is showing the power of Jesus Christ, the power of his call. This is how irresistible his grace is. So that when he he says, come, you're going to come. And you're going to come joyfully. And you're going to come immediately. And that's that's exactly what, what the scriptures even teach us about the call of God. Because when he calls, we come. And then we see a second scene. And going a little further. Again, James and John are, are working in their family business. Again, it's the, the middle of the day. It says, well, maybe it's more towards the end of the day as they're mending their nets, right? 
what you can see here is they probably had a, uh, we tend to see the fishermen as, as dumb and, and the lowest of low, but these were probably pretty successful businessmen. They had their own equipment. They had hired servants. These were uh, probably middle-class, blue-collar workers. And Jesus, again, he calls them, and immediately they follow, right? They leave, they leave their nets. They leave the family business. They leave their father there. Again, displaying the power of God's call. One thing I think that's important to note here is that you'll notice that Jesus lives life in community. Right? Jesus could have, Jesus doesn't need these disciples. He doesn't need these fishermen. Right? Jesus can accomplish his mission with the, the rocks and the trees. But Jesus chooses to live in community. And I think that's an important thing for us to see as he's gathering these 12 disciples that Jesus so highly values people in community that, that, and we're tempted to miss out on that. But I'd urge you to, to not avoid living in community, not getting in an RC or, and having other Christians, other people around you that are going to encourage you and, and pray for you and hold you accountable. We all need people, right? If Jesus chose to have people around him, we need to have people around us. So don't forsake getting close to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, your, your RC should almost see it as, hey, we're the 12 disciples and we're following Jesus together, however many people you have in your group. But don't forsake that. So what do we learn about the kingdom of God from these verses? I have two things. One, the kingdom comes with a call and a promise. A call and a promise. The call is to follow me. That's what Jesus says. And the promise is, I will make you. Right? So that Jesus simply calls us to follow him. And it's similar to the call of repent and believe. Right? Surrender control of your life to Jesus. Come. Keep coming to Jesus every day in your life. Live with him as, as king, as lord of your life. That's the call. And, and sin is the total opposite of this. Sin is us pridefully seeking, and I've said it already, to be king of our own little kingdom. Right? Sin leads us to, to want to control our lives. Sin makes us want to control our people around us and circumstances around us. And, and what will happen is, the, the evidence of that that you'll see in your life is when you're trying to control, you're not trusting God, you're doing it your own way, you will experience fear. Because the opposite of trust, trust is fear. The opposite of trusting God is fear. You'll experience fear. You might not be fearful when it's all going well, but as soon as your life starts falling out of control, and you can't control your world around you, you'll be fearful, right? You'll be scared. You'll be anxious. You'll be insecure. All those, all, all those symptoms that, that fear shows, right? And you'll begin trying to control the world around you, and, and maybe you'll, you'll use other strategies to try to control the ro- world around you, like manipulating, or, 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 or you might just be angry, that's what happens when we're trying to control our own world. 
because we can't control it. We're not sovereign like God is, and he calls us to, to trust him, live under his sovereignty, and he promises to work out all things for our good if we're, we're in Christ Jesus. So, and, and I, I mean, I, I've seen so many people that are, that are trying to control their world. They're, they're, they're having panic attacks. They, they can't sleep at night. Right? They can't, they're, they're trying to fix their world, but they, they can't. That's why it's important. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and the promises. He's going to do the work. Right? He's going he's gonna to take care of the rest. That's the, even if you're, Jesus, the scripture says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all else will be added unto you. Right? Seek first his kingdom. Let him work out the rest. That's what following Jesus is. And so some of us tend to resist following Jesus because we get caught up in, oh, what does that mean? What do I have to do? And, oh, man, I, I can't do all that stuff. But that's not what Jesus' call is. His call isn't to get your stuff together. He says, just, just follow me. Just trust me. Okay? And stop focusing on what we need to do. Stop trying and start trusting. Follow me is what he's saying. And the promise is, I'll make you. I'll change you. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you new desires. Right? God will do the work. That's exactly what I saw happen in my life. I remember as a, as a young teenager saying, you know what? I'm a sinner. I can't fix my life. I'm just going to have fun now, and I'll figure out the God stuff later. But what happened is, Jesus said, follow me. Right? He changed me. What happened, I went to a summer camp, and I heard the good news of the gospel, and I remember June 6, 1996, they show the cross video. They show the video of Jesus on the cross. He loved me. He wanted to have a relationship with me. He died for me. And I heard that call in my life, follow me. And I remember going out right after seeing that. They, they gave us some time to go out and pray. And that June 6, 1996, I prayed. Jesus, I don't know what it means, but I want to follow you. Right? His call was instantaneous. Immediately, he changed me. And I began following him. And I remember the, the following year at a, at a youth group, one of my friends got up as we were sharing God stories. And he said, this is my friend John Gletch. He says, man, one of the amazing things I've seen this semester is how much God has changed Chris. And at that moment, it hit me like, wow. Wow, because I, at that time, I had begun to love reading my Bible, and I loved going to church, and I loved being in, in youth group, and God had radically changed me, where I didn't want anything to do with God till I was old, and, and he did the work in me, right? Never in my life did I, I say I wanted to be a pastor. I followed Jesus, and he made me. He did it. So that's what God does, and then God will use us. As we, as we follow him and he changes us, God's going to use us to, to draw other people into his kingdom. He's going to use us to fulfill his mission that he has for the church, right? His kingdom mission. And that's, what, that's exactly what that, that picture of being fishers of men is, right? If you picture cats in line, you're, you're pulling fish out of the darkness into the light, right? That's the picture of fishing. And so when we participate with God, as fishers of men, we're pulling people from out of one kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light. Right? By God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, we get to participate in that. So I emailed some of my closest friends, one of my, one of my closest uh, mentors, and I asked them what it means to follow Jesus. I have a couple short things that I want to share with you. I one from uh, Paul Cooper. He was uh, my uh, high school Sunday school teacher, and he said this, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. He says, this is a very, script- very special scripture to me, Chris. My degree is in education, a teacher. I abandoned that career because I came to realize that I would not be good at it at all. So I went to work with a family business, a painter. Little did I know that the Lord would make me a teacher. The scripture literally says, I will make you begin to be. When I walked my own direction, I couldn't do it. When I walked with him, he made me to be a teacher. And he says, and you, my friend, are one of the hundreds of kids that I've had the privilege to serve and to teach. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love you and very proud of you. And that was a, a that almost brings tears to my eyes, and I don't cry very, very much, but I mean, this is, that was a special email to me. He was a, Paul was a very influential man in my life. He's a man who, whose love for Jesus, his love for the Scripture was infectious. The way he loved his, his family, he had two daughters and a wife. It was infectious, and I, and I got to see him as he lived his life. And, and you see here, he gets it, right? I just followed Jesus, and he made me to be. He did the work in my life, and, and God used him in, in special ways, and is still using him. Second thing we learn here is that Jesus is Lord of our vocations, right? Jesus is king of your workplace, right? He, if, you, if you see this story, he's calling these four disciples to leave their vocations. So we see Jesus' authority extends to our, our work life. <clears throat> now we tend to want to divide our lives into sacred and secular, right? We want to have, oh, this is my religious, spiritual life over here, and this is my, my, uh, my secular life. This is where I do what I want to do, right? So you can imagine life as a pizza. I got this from Jose Matis this morning. If you imagine life as a pizza, it's, it's like us saying, like, all right, God, you can have this slice, and you can have this slice, and uh, now I'll save the rest for myself. Right? That's how we tend to want to divide our life out. But Jesus, if he's king, all of life is all for Jesus. It all belongs to him. You can't divide it all out. Right? And the good news is God's generous, and he'll share that pizza with you. <laughs> so so this, what, I want you to understand this, though, as we read this. This does not mean that God's calling everyone to leave their secular jobs. I don't even want, you shouldn't even think of your job as secular. But this does not mean that God's calling everyone into full-time ministry paid position. Right? This does not mean that God's calling everyone to be pastors and, and, and full-time missionaries right? that go overseas or something. But it, what it does mean is that uh, uh, even if you think about the story, right, God doesn't call 
He doesn't call. He only calls 12 disciples. He is going to call some people into full-time ministry-type positions. But, But God's purpose is to be king of all of us as we spread out into the world, into the culture, into all the different, all the different corporations, and into politics, into into being teachers and and lawyers and and custodians and, and restaurant workers. Right? God wants us all to live under His lordship as we're in all those places. Right? To fulfill His mission, to fish for people in, in all these different aspects of society. God wants us out there. So it's not a, a call, but it's a, it's a call to live with Jesus as king at your workplace. Jesus is your boss at your workplace, and you work for Jesus. And you will be a much more effective and much more happy worker if you work for Jesus. Right? You'll, you'll, it'll, it'll change how you work, right? Because now I'm working for his glory and not minimum wage. Right? I'm storing up treasures in heaven, right? And Jesus already has paid me, paid, the, paid me more than I could ever deserve when he gave his life on the cross for me, right? I've already received more than I ever deserved, so, so I can do the most menial task, and I can do it well, and I can do it for, for his glory, right? It's going to change how hard you work, the quality of your work. Christians should be the best workers, Right? It should change how we treat our coworkers, our boss, our even customers. Even customers, if you work in a customer service, even the most annoying customers, you know, who cuss you out. It should change the way you treat them. I I, I want to end with this, and this this is just to show a, my one of my friends, Bruce. He he answered. He told me. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus at my workplace. All right, I want to I read this. He says, I feel like my Babylon is Intel. And so he's, he's comparing Intel to when the Jews were exiled into a foreign land where they're kidnapped and literally forced to go to a foreign land. He feels like Intel is his Babylon. And he says, I'm not supposed to shy away <coughs> from my workforce. But embrace it. I need to seek the welfare of intel. How do I do that? I think about what it is that I would love others to do for me to make my job more fun, less stressful, and just a blessing. Then I try to do those things to others. How can I make intel a better place to work for others? Right? He recognizes that, hey, Jesus is my king, and I want to bring God's blessing to intel what he's trying to do, right? Some ways that I'm thinking is, and I'd encourage you to write these things down and do these things in your, in your workplace. If you want to begin to live under Jesus' kingdom reality, right, his kingdom authority, these are some very practical things that you can do. And these are some practical things that are going to help you be fishers of men as you're seeking to follow Jesus. So he says, one, as I said above, Think about others first. Think about others first. Two, ask people if I can pray for anything that they need. A lot of times we're, we're so pressured. Oh, what am I going to say? How can I share the gospel? A lot of times we can just offer prayer for people. 
And if they want prayer, you can pray for them right there if, you, if possible. Do stuff for others without notice. That's, that's a huge blessing. Invite people out to lunch and just to get to know their story. And I added on there, if possible, pay for them and give a good tip. Right? Don't be cheap and show them, show them the, the generosity of Jesus Christ. Uh, invite people to your home to eat. And he, and he made the point to say honor their diet, right? any food allergies or, or any customs they have. He works with Intel where there's a, a lot of different people from around the world. And so as he invites different people, he seeks to, to you know, honor their, their food customs. And then six, invite them to community group and church. That's six ways he's trying to, to live under the, the lordship of Jesus at his workplace. So as I, as I wrap up, I just want you to, again, ponder the question that I put out there today. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Are you still sinfully trying to control your own life and, and do things your own way? Surrender. Follow Jesus and let him do his work. All right? Don't try to do those six steps without following Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let him change you. And, and it's going to happen. All right, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, praise you. Thank you that you are king, that you rule and reign. And uh, help us, Lord, to, to live, to learn under your kingdom authority. All of life is all for Jesus. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.